Uh, this weekend, we've been in this series called Heroes, and we've been looking at the life of David. And so for the last several weeks, we've been looking at David's life. And this weekend, we're going to look at, well, we're going to look at the issue of parenting. And we're going to specifically look at how to parent, how to love a rebellious child, a child that is rebelling against you, a child that is breaking your heart. And listen, whenever we start talking about parenting, uh, I know, and I, and, and I get it because I feel it as well, um, there's something about parenting, right, that can leave you with a lot of guilt. And so let's just all kind of take a, a deep breath. And my deal today is to take God's word and open it up for you, but not to give you any guilt. Uh, listen, you cannot change the past. And you should not waste any emotional energy on the past, which you cannot change. But what you can change is today and as you move forward. And so this issue of parenting, just all in itself, uh, if we're not careful, can bring up a lot of unnecessary guilt. Because let me just ask you, we could take a survey this morning. Let me ask you, are there any perfect parents in this room? Now listen, if your kid is like still in a, a carrier and you're still feeding him or her and they still look at you like a rock star, uh, you don't get to vote. I mean, I remember those days, right? I remember those days when our kids were young and we'd see other parents, and you know the other kids? And they were older, and we'd say, oh, our girls, our girls will never do that. And then our girls grew up, and they did that, right? And so you kind of realize parenting is like easy when you got them in a carrier and you feed them and all that other stuff, and they look at you like a rock star. But listen, I have parented along with Karen through all seasons, uh, through middle school, high school, college, and now into adult and and we have a grandson, and, and so here's what I've learned. You never quit being a parent. It just, like, never ends. And so I just want us all to take a deep breath, and, well, maybe I'll do this. Well, before I do that, let me tell you this. Because I believe that this is the most difficult time to be a husband or a wife. This is the most difficult time to be a parent with all the temptation, the moral decay of our society, and everything that's going on. And this is the most difficult time to be uh, a student. And so I get it. There's a, there's a joke, one of my favorite jokes, and so this has no theological implications, just a joke uh, about the life of uh, a day of Jesus. And so Jesus was like walking down a dusty road one day, and he came up to a man, and the man was crying on the side of the road. And Jesus walked up to him and said, sir, what is wrong? And he says, well, I'm blind. I cannot see. And so Jesus just kind of reached over and grabbed the man's head and took his thumbs and put pressed against the guy's eyes. And he prayed, and he says, you're healed. Open your eyes. The guy opened his eyes. He could see. And so he started praising God and celebrating. He ran off and he's praising God. And so Jesus is walking down the road a little bit later. And so there's this lady and she's on the side of the road and she's crying. So Jesus walks up to her and says, ma'am, what is wrong? And she says, I, I have this terminal illness and the doctors have just told me I'm going to die. And so Jesus, just with all compassion and love, just touched her forehead, prayed for her and says, you have been healed. Go and, 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 go and show yourself to the priest. And so she w went away and she was like praising God what he did in her life. A little bit later, Jesus is walking down the road, and there's a, a, a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife, and they're sitting on the curb, and they're like crying hysterically. And so Jesus walks over to them and says, excuse me, can I ask you what is wrong? And they looked at him and said, oh, Jesus, you don't understand. We have teenagers at home. And so, and so Jesus just sat down and cried hysterically with them. <laughs> like there's nothing he can do. And so now listen. Now, don't quote me that that didn't really happen in the Bible. That's just a joke that has no theological implications. But to tell you this, parenting is tough, right? And so we've looked at David's life, and we've looked at the challenge. And David, we've looked at his passion. We've looked at his compassion. 
Uh, we've looked at his, his character. We've looked at, man, we've looked at his sin. We've looked at his fall, his, his, his sin. We looked at some of the things he, he failed in. And we've looked at every aspect of his life. And today we're going to look at how he parented an adult child, Absalom, that was rebellious. And so listen, this was no small deal that Absalom did. Uh, you can read the story for yourself in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 13 to 19. We don't have time in this service to go all the way through that scripture. But, but, I, but in the focus of today's talk is not on how he parented in the home, but so much what happened after the home and how he reached out to Absalom as an adult. Because listen, the issue that Absalom had, this was no small issue. This was no small deal. This wasn't missing curfew. Uh, this wasn't dating the wrong person. This wasn't making a, a lifestyle choice. This wasn't staying out past curfew. This wasn't too many text messages or too many minutes on a cell phone. This wasn't any of that. Listen, this was a small, this was a huge issue. This was not a small issue. And when we look at this, as you've got to tell you, this is not a very flattering story of David. See, David, when, when he was parenting in the home, David was not very involved in his, his children's lives. And the fact is, that's some of Absalom's uh, issues, that's some of his hurt, and that is some of his pain. Fact is, when you look at David's life, you realize that David would be considered just a very passive dad. We never see in Scripture where David was getting involved in his kids' lives. He was uh, doing anything with them. We never see that he's, he's trying to move into their life. In fact is, what we see is, is that he is very passive. So Absalom is, is now an adult. He's grown up with a lot of, lot of unforgiveness towards his dad. He's, gr he's grown up with some anger towards his dad in, in the home and some other things. And so Absalom and and David, because of a situation that happened in the family, Absalom left, and he's been separated for David for about three years. And so here's what the scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 38. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur, and he was there for three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom. Listen, that is so important. That statement right there is so important. No matter what Absalom did, no matter how much hurt he had, no matter how, how much he tried to humiliate or embarrass his dad, his dad still loved him and still desired a relationship with him. And it speaks volumes of David. I mean, David, I mean, Absalom, when you realize and you look at Absalom's life, he was not trying just to embarrass his dad. He was not trying just to hurt his dad. He wanted to humiliate his dad. Fact is, what Absalom wanted was revenge. But here's what Absalom learned, and here's what many of us learned. Revenge is never enough, right? Revenge will never give you peace. Revenge will never give you, give you what you're looking for. And no matter what Absalom did to try to get even, to try to get avenge, revenge, it was just never enough. And so once this three-year period was over, David still desired to have a relationship with Absalom. He still continually reached out to him and tried to connect with him and have this relationship with him. And once the three years is over, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem. He moves back to Jerusalem. And he'd been in Jerusalem for a couple of years. In fact, is they'd never, they'd never spoken in this period. They'd never talked, they'd never really spoken. And so all of a sudden, because of a series of events, they have this, this meeting. Watch this, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 33. So Joab, Joab's the guy who's like David's assistant. He's the guy that set this up. Went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. And so he came to the king, and he bowed himself on his face to the ground. So that's Absalom before the king. And then watch what David does. And so the king kissed Absalom. What a happy re reunion, right? 
I mean, there's affection, there's love, it seems like there's acceptance, but, but there's some false beliefs that we can build in parenting, and there's some false beliefs that we can build in a relationship. Listen, just because you have a conversation, just because there's a conversation, does not mean that reconciliation has taken place. I mean, Ab- David showed great affection towards Absalom. David hugged him and kissed him, which was a picture of acceptance, but there was no true There's no true reconciliation. Just because Christmas went well, just because Thanksgiving goes well, just because you have this meeting and you have your family around and there's no conflict doesn't mean that reconciliation has taken place. See, for reconciliation to take place, there has to be some conversations. There has to be some hard conversations sometimes. And David, when we looked at it, David was a man that was able, when Nathan went and confronted him, David was able for someone to confront him, but David never learned how to have the tough conversation with someone else. Another thing that you can build a false belief around, and and we see it in David's life, they have this meeting, and Absalom accepts some of his dad's resources. Listen, just because your kids accept your money doesn't mean they're okay with you. Doesn't mean they don't have any issues. Well, see, this was Absalom. Absalom had this meeting and had this conversation And Absalom accepts some money, accepts some resources from his dad. But that doesn't mean he's okay with his dad. See, Absalom had some unforgiveness. He wanted revenge. He wanted more than revenge. He wanted to destroy his dad. So you know what Absalom does? Absalom goes to the city gate and he stands outside of the city gate. That's where the protesters would go. Much like our day, outside the White House. And so the protesters would stand there. And so here's what Absalom would do. He would go there, and can you imagine this? People are picketing the king, and they got all these kind of issues with the king. And Absalom would go there and say, I'm the king's son, and I agree with you. Let me tell you something. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, you will always look for someone to affirm you and confirm it. And that's what Absalom did. And Absalom, standing outside of the city gates, he does this for four years. And he's outside those city gates, and he's agreeing with the protesters who said, you're exactly right. My dad's an evil man, and he's a bad, and all of this other stuff. It'd be much like in our day if one of President Obama's daughters had an issue with him, and they stood outside the gates of the White House with the picketers. Can you imagine the distraction that'd be for a, a country, a distraction that'd be for a president, and a distraction that that was for a king? But here's the deal about David. David continually reached out to his son, and he continually reached out to Absalom. And Absalom waits four years. And he waits until David is at his weakest moment. And he waits till he has enough people that support him or are with him, and he decides we're going to overthrow the king, and I'm going to take possession of the palace and all of those other things. And David and his men realized that they would be defeated and they would be destroyed. You see, Absalom wanted revenge because unforgiveness will motivate you to do that he wanted to embarrass his dad he wanted to humiliate his dad and so David and his men realized that we're going to be defeated here and it's just a sad commentary it's just a sad story in scripture that David and his men left Jerusalem and as they left the people lined the streets and they wept because they loved him and he was a great king and you know, the scripture says that David also led, loved the people that he led, and David wept as he left. This is a rebellious son. This is an ultimate slap in, in the face to his, his dad. He's now taken over the palace. The palace is his. 
He's humiliated his dad. He's embarrassed his dad. He's embarrassed his dad publicly. But see, here's the deal about revenge. Revenge is never enough. You would think this would be enough. His dad is now fleed and his dad is now left and he's in hiding. Now Absalom wants to kill him. Because revenge is never enough. And so word gets out that he wants to kill him and David talks to his men and David tells his men, whatever you do, do not kill my son. I mean, David, here's the interesting thing about David. Even when he was in his rebellion, David did not cut him off. Even in the midst of his rebellion, David loved that son and he kept reaching out to that son. And the scripture says that the time came when Absalom went too far and the king's men, David's men, had to, had to kill him. And now someone had to go to David and someone had to tell David that your son is now dead. He went too far. 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. Here's when they told David. And the king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, watch this. And I wonder how many parents have made this similar statement. And he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. I would have died instead of you. I would have given my life for you. I wished it was me instead of you. If you had just talked to me, if you had just worked with me, if you would just been honest with me, I would give up everything for you. I love you like deeply. And so you hear his emotion. And he says, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And it was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and he's mourning for Absalom. He's mourning for his son. So I want to give you four lessons that we can glean out of this story as parents of how to love a rebellious adult child or how to love a child. And then we have a lot of students. This is student weekend, and we have a lot of students, children in this service. We'll have our student ministry with us in the next service as they return from a ski trip. And so I'm going to give four principles to parents. And then students, I'm going to talk directly to you about two principles that you can apply to your family. The first one is this for parents. Regardless of what your children do, stay involved in their lives because God is not done with them. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad in your rebellion? Aren't you glad when you wandered that God did not give up on you? And parents, let me tell you this. God is not done with your child. God is not done with your kids. Learn to spend quality time with them. See, David's actions in the home, when he parented the kids in the home, he appeared to be ignorant and apathetic. In other words, I don't know and I don't care. When he turned his head to a lot of the things that were going on in the home, which he had this appearance that he really didn't know because things that were going on in the home, everybody else knew were detrimental to the family. Everybody else was detrimental to, to what was going on, to the children. That's where Absalom's hurt came from. But he not only appeared not to know, he appeared not to care because he never really got involved in the lives of his kids to where he was a dad that was totally passive and he was totally out of touch with his children. And the scripture teaches, and we know this, we've got to be involved in our children's lives. We've got to find a mutual interest. We've got to find that. In- and God has created every child differently, right? And so there's a different bridge that we have to use into different kids' lives. Listen, uh, we have two daughters, and, and uh, we've parented them. You know, I have a grandson now. We've parented them through, through middle school and high school and college and now marriage, and you're never done. And I remember when they were home, I would look for things to build a bridge into their life. Listen, I may have to turn in my man card this morning, but here's the deal. Because I had two daughters, fact is, fact is, I was the only male ever in my family, except for a brief period in time, we had a male dog. 
Ranger is the only dog that we had that couldn't take it. And he ran away from home. I mean, he left me when I needed him the most. I'm like, Ranger, how could any other weekend but this weekend, right? It was a bad deal. They dressed him up one too many times and put him in a stroller and did that whole deal. And Ranger's like, I'm out of here. I can't take this. And so I may have to turn in my man card, but I'm telling you, I have watched more Lifetime movies than, than any man should admit. I'm telling you, and I've suffered from estrogen poisoning because of it. I mean, I just, I've, I've suffered from the side effects and all the problems. But you know what? If I wanted to spend time with my girls, if I wanted to spend time with them, then I had to do some of the things that was an interest to them. To have a relationship with them. And see, Absalom, in his rebellion in his adult years, he's, he's turning, not, not only is he rebelling against his dad, but he's getting a group of people to rebel against them. But in the midst of this, I just want you to see this. In the midst of this, this is what is amazing about David. Is what, this is very public. Everybody knows what's going on. And he's still working behind the scenes to help his child, help his son to be a success. Watch this in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 33. And so David said to him, and David's talking to his personal assistant. It was his administrative assistant that was just very trusted. And he says, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you had to return to the city, Jerusalem, and if you would say to Absalom, watch this, it's so interesting. I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in the past. So now I will be your servant. Then, this is what David's telling him, then you will be able to defeat for me the council of Antithophel. You know what David is doing? He's trying to work behind the scenes. Even in the midst of his son rebelling and humiliating him and trying to embarrass him, he tells his assistant, why don't you go back to Jerusalem and say, I'll be faithful to you just like I was your dad. And this guy that's there that's giving him, him bad advice and leading him astray, maybe you could start speaking into his life and maybe you could influence him and maybe you could help him because the word that you see in David's life even in the midst of Absalom's rebellion is his heart still long for him fact is here's the interesting thing when you when you just when you read the story for yourself you can never find that Absalom's actions embarrassed David David understood he's an adult. It's his choice. The fact is, Absalom has never, never been made to feel that he was a disappointment or an embarrassment to his dad. Here's the second principle for, for, for parents. Regardless of what your children do, be willing to show proper discipline. Regardless of what they do, be willing to get involved in their lives and be willing to show proper discipline. And so we've looked at Nathan's confrontation of David. And, and David was a guy that could be confronted. But the problem with David was this. He couldn't confront others. And he couldn't get involved. And he couldn't confront his children as soon as it happened. If he had confronted his children when the issues happened, maybe Absalom's life would have turned out differently. David is learning this. David is learning that it is much easier to build and to grow healthy children than it is to repair broken people. And there are a lot of times that David should have said some things. And there are a lot of times that David should have confronted. But David kept his mouth shut when he should have just confronted. I mean, they, they, they had this meeting. And David just kissed him and hugged him. But there's never, they never had a confrontation to where David just 
spoke into his life about his choices and about the things that, were, that Absalom was doing. And parents of adult children, let me tell you something. There are times when we need to talk openly to our children about some of their choices, about some of their decisions, about some of the consequences. One, so that our conscience can be clean and clear. And so that we can try to influence them. See, we may not always approve of our children's decisions and choices. But we can still love them and accept them. You can accept them as a person without accepting their behavior. See, David got that. David understood that. You never see that he just wrote him off. Like in this issue of discipline, watch this, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Listen, let me tell you something. Discipline is an expression of love. It takes work to discipline, right? It takes work to get involved. Listen, the greatest expression of love that we can have, even for our adult children, is to try to guide them and to speak into their life. Students, here's, here's a couple of things for you since we're talking about probably your favorite subject, discipline. The first statement that you need to be able to make and the first statement that you need to realize is this. When I obey my parents, it reveals my intelligence. When you're willing to submit to your parents' authority, when you're willing to obey them, do you know that it reveals a lot about you? Here's what the scripture says. In fact, is the writer of Proverbs, he puts it a lot stronger than I just said. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Students, if you're saying right now, whether you're in middle school or high school, I cannot wait till I get out of mom and dad's house. I cannot wait till I get out of the home. I cannot wait till I get to a place in my life where I can do whatever I want. I can say wherever I want. I can go wherever I want. I have news for you. That day will never come. You will always, listen, you will always have to listen to someone. You will always have to listen to other people regardless how old you are or regardless of how how far you go in life. I mean, one day you will go to college and you will have a professor and guess what that professor will do? That professor will tell you when papers are due, when, when, when how many pages you, you will need, when they're due and what you have to do to get a grade. You'll have a coach. A coach will tell you what to do. A coach will tell you how to behave. You'll have a police officer in your life or a police officer will tell you how fast you can go, how fast you can't go, what to do at a red light, what to do at a stop light, what to do at a stop sign. Oh, and the day will come you'll have a boss. And a boss is going to tell you what to do. A boss is going to tell you what time to get there and what time you can leave, when break is, when lunch is, all of those other things. And you may be sitting there as a student and say, whoa, wait a minute, you don't understand. I don't plan on having a boss. I'm going to have my own company. I'm going to run my own company. Great, you run your own company, but then you're, guess what? Then you're going to have a board of directors. You're going to have some investors. You may have some, uh, some uh, customers that tell you what to do. And then the day is going to come when you're going to get married (laughs) right I mean you're always gonna have someone in your life you cannot come to the place to where you say you know what I'm gonna get to the place in my life when I don't need anybody in my life that day will never come and the home is the place designed by God to teach you how to respond to authority
A lot of the issues that we have in the workplace, a lot of the issues that we have in our country right now is because people do not know how to respond to the authority that God has placed over them. And discipline, listen, the purpose of discipline is change behavior. The second thing that students should be able to say or understand or learn is what is this, is when I obey my parents, it keeps me from unnecessary pain. Proverbs 10, 17 says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he rejects reproof leads others astray. If you do not respond to the discipline and the instruction of your parents, guess what? You know what Scripture says? You're going to lead others astray. You're going to take others down the same dead-end road that you're headed. That's what Absalom did, right? Can I tell you this? Students, be very careful for the friends that you're hanging around with. If your friends don't respond to the authority of your parents, if your friends do not obey your parents, if your friends are rebellious towards your parents and the way they talk about your parents, can I tell you this just biblically? Your, your friends will lead you astray. Your friends will take you down a road that is a dead end. They will take you down a road that you do not want to go. Listen, I'm telling you, this is, has to be one of the most difficult times to parent that, I've, that, that I know of. And parents used to your children's friends would come through the front door, right? And you knew who their friends were. And now we live in a high-tech society and your, your kids, people are entering your house from all over the world through the Internet. And you better know who they're talking to. Parents, you are not their friend, except on Facebook. <laughs> if they don't friend you on Facebook, no Facebook. You are not their friend. You're their parent, and you better know who their friends are, and you better know the influence in their life. Because the scripture says, whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Students, do you ever ignore the correction or the instruction of your parents? Have there ever been a time in your life when you know what? You know you crossed the line, and you know you're in trouble. And you knew the lecture was coming and the talk was coming. And so when it was that time, you zoned out and you kind of crossed your arms and you, you slumped in your chair. You didn't make eye contact. You bit your tongue and you refused to say anything. But inside, you're having a conversation, right? Inside, you're like, I'm just going to gut through this. I'm just going to get through this. I'm not hearing what they say. I'll get through this and then I'll go and do exactly what I want to do. You realize that calls ignoring correction. Proverbs 23, 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is, when she is old. And you may, may ever already think when you have those conversations that you know where this is going and you've heard it a hundred times and you check out and, and then they ask you a question and you refuse to answer and you have no openness to correction. See, conversation goes both ways. That's when Absalom and David, when they met, they didn't have real conversation, and there was no healing. And you ask questions, and where you ask your mom and dad questions, and you let them know how you're feeling, and you let them know how you're thinking, because they want to help you. See, this is why moms and dads get so frustrated when they have the talk, and you refuse to respond, and they give you that blank stare. And if you're mature, you understand that, listen, discipline, 
is an expression of love. When you, it'd be easier for your parents to turn their head and do absolutely nothing. As a pastor and as a chaplain, you, you, cannot, you cannot imagine the number of conversations that I've had with students and with even young adults where they have said, you know what, I wish my mom and dad loved me enough to give me boundaries, to give me a curfew, to get involved in my life. I wish they loved me. What do I have to do to get their attention? Listen, students, when your parents discipline you, it is an act, it is an expression of love. Because discipline, the biblical definition of, dif of discipline, the outcome is just change of behavior. The third principle for us parents is this. Regardless of what your children do, be willing to pray for them. Regardless of what they do, regardless of how far they go, fact is we'll see this, we'll read the scripture, one of the scriptures in a moment. But you find that David, even with all the hurt and the pain that, that Absalom had caused him, he's still praying for him. Listen, the best use of your time when children are rebellious is this issue of prayer. Now listen, the reason that we don't pray is because we don't have time or because we don't know how to pray. The reason that we don't pray is because we don't really believe it works. I'm telling you, sometimes all we have left as parents is this issue to pray to where when we don't know what to do, we begin to ask God for wisdom and ask God for instructions. And Scripture says when we ask Him wisdom, God will give us wisdom. It's in these difficult times of life, in these difficult times of, of parenting, that sometimes that God establishes us and He develops in this issue of prayer. To when we begin asking Him, God, where are you? And where are you in the family? Where are you in this situation? When are you going to come through in this area? When are you going to take care of this situation? And then if you stay with it long enough, you begin to see... God doing some things or some movement. And listen, here's the difficulty thing about, about parenting, and, and that is this. Is it hard, it's hard to get out of parenting without guilt. We get that. We understand that. But here's the issue with parenting. Is that when there's a rebellious child and when someone's breaking our heart, there's pain, right? You, you can see it in David's life. But pain blinds us to several things. Pain can blind you to the love of God. Pain can blind you to the care of God. Pain can blind you to his word. And that's why prayer is so important. I mean, when you go through the Psalms, it's a crazy deal when you read the Psalms. 50% of the Psalms is a lament. It's a complaint against God. It's an amazing thing. Did you realize prayer is one of the ways we process out our feelings? Prayer is one of the ways we process out some of our emotions and sometimes we can get to that place with a rebellious child to where we're like, we're at the end of the rope and we don't know what to do. And we don't know what to give them. Listen, if you have nothing to give them, just give them Jesus. I mean, this is what uh, Paul did in, in Simon Peter in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. And Peter said to him, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Listen, I just need to tell you, God has designed your journey too difficult for you. And if your journey is not too difficult for you, you're on the wrong journey. There are a lot of things that we like as Christians. We have like Christian uh, refrigerator magnets and sayings. And it may seem sweet and nice on a refrigerator, but a lot of times it's just not, it's just not biblical. And one of the ones is this, is that God will never give me more than I can bear. That's a lie. Scripture says he will not give you more temptation than you can bear. If we didn't have more than we could bear, we don't need God. 
And a lot of times, God does give us And he does allow more than we can bear. So we get it and we understand that he is sovereign and he is good. And that we need him. I mean, look at David's prayer, 2 Samuel 15, 31. And it was told, and it was told David, Anethophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So here's what he does when he hears, oh no, he's with that guy? That guy's a bad guy. That guy's going to lead him down a ro- a, the wrong road. And David said to them, oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Anithophel into foolishness. He began to pray for him. Listen, we have a pastor friend, Karen and I do. It's the ministry. He was, it was under his ministry that Karen and I met in 1983 in Houston, Texas. Gary Miller is his name. And he said this last week, he pastored a, a church in, in West Texas and and so he went to lunch with this, I mean, he said he was just, this guy was just like this tree of a man, and he was a man's man, and he was a cowboy, he was a rancher, and he was just tough, and, and he says, we're sitting at lunch, we're sitting at this greasy spoon, and, and so he, was, he, he had a rebellious son, he had a son that's just breaking his heart. And so Gary just looked at him and said, you know, something that God has taught me in parenting, God has taught me a lot about parent, uh, praying, uh, have you prayed for your son? And Gary says it was the most convicting thing someone's ever told me or said to me or just a statement. And he said, you saw this big old cowboy, this big old tough guy look across the table. He says, you could tell a lot of emotion. His eyes began to just to, to, to water. And he looked at me and said, Pastor, i got to tell you this. I have prayed more over a cheeseburger than I have my kids. I prayed over a meal. I prayed more over vacations. I prayed more over things to work out at the office or the school or whatever. I've prayed more over a stinking cheeseburger than I have my kids. Gary said, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone tell me something like that that was more convicting. Because there have been times every one of us have prayed more over a meal sometimes than our kids. The last principle is this about parenting is regardless of what your children do, never burn the last bridge Always give them a way back home. If someone's going to light the match, if someone's going to br- burn the bridge, you let them burn the bridge. Don't you burn the bridge. David continually reached out to this son. Absalom didn't deserve to get to come back to Jerusalem. Absalom didn't, need a, get, didn't deserve a second chance. And you realize that David continually reached out to him. Home is a place that we put love in action. And there comes a time that there needs to be forgiveness that we need to learn to be able to move on. And some of you this morning are saying, you know what, maybe, you know, this message and this talk just gives me so, many, so much guilt. I've made so many mistakes. Well, join the club. There's not one of us in this room that is perfect. And don't let Satan give you false guilt. Here a while back, and I'll, I'll just close with this, but, but here a while back, I... Uh, got to have a, a private dinner with uh, Rick Warren, me and, 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 and a handful of pastors. And Rick Warren had come to Colorado Springs, the author of, of uh, Purpose Driven Life and Saddleback. He had spoken at, at Colorado Springs. He had a flight problem. And so anyway, I got to go up and have dinner with him. And so we're sitting around and we're talking. And I, so I look over him and I ask him this question. I says, how do you handle a rebellious kid? I mean, how, what counsel do you give to people? What counsel? He says, oh, he says, you know, he said, let me, let me just tell you this. He says, you know, in, in 30 years of ministry and in the home that I came out of, he expe- explained the dynamics of his home. And he says, let me, let me just tell you this. 
It's not a good parent versus bad parent issue at all. He said, it's really not. He said, we can prove that out in Scripture. We can go to Scripture and we can see some, some very good parents and their kids were like, they just washed out. And then we can go to some other people and they lived a difficult life in Scripture and you see that their kids became missionaries or, or, or what. And so he says, it's not an issue, good parent, bad parent. He said, Adam and Eve had the perfect father. They were in the perfect situation. They were in the garden. And Adam and Eve did some stupid things. They did some things that they weren't supposed to do. And he says, you can go to the children of Israel. And God was the perfect dad. He was the perfect parent to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel did some stupid stuff. And they, 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 they broke his heart. And they did some things that he said, is not an issue between good parent, bad parent. We have to come to the place in our life to where we realize that and we get that. Sometimes parents, we are so qu quick to take too much credit for how they turn out and too much, too much credit for their bad decisions, right? And he says, you've got to understand they're adults. And, and, and this guy, Absalom, was an adult. He was a leader. He could make all those decisions. And so Rick Warren says, so you've got to learn this. You've got to learn the seasons of parenting. And there's a season for building a relationship, and there's a season for teaching. He says, if all you do, you're just speaking in their life and you're just correcting and you're just teaching whenever they don't ask for advice, when you teach them, when you speak into their life, it will always come across as criticism. And it always will come across. They already know how you stand, they ra that you raise them. They already know what you disagree with. And Rick Warren says, with adult kids, there comes that time when you have to decide and you have to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to work on the relationship. And I'm going to build that bridge because I can accept them without accepting their behavior. I can accept them without accepting every choice they make. And Rick says the day will come if you'll build that relationship because the last thing you want is when they hit bottom, and they will. The last thing you want is when they hit bottom that they go talk to someone else other than you because they know they can't come home because they know you're going to judge them, because they know you're going to hurt them. And you just work on the relationship. And the way that you know you're moving out of working on the relationship to teaching when they're adults is this, is when the day they come home and they say, hey, mom, hey, dad, what should I do about? And then they're open. Rick Warren said for his brother, who rebelled and left the home, it didn't come until he was in his 50s. So you understand, don't give up on your kids because not God is, does not give up on them. So you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Let me just ask you just real quickly, and we have a, we have a group in this room and we have a group in our overflow room. We've been in overflow all three services so far. And so whether you're in this room or whether you're in another room in overflow, let me just ask you a question. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, what is your next step? What, what is the next step that God wants you to take? How does God want you to respond to this message? There may be some of you in this place, and you know what? You may need to forgive right now. You may need to forgive a son. You may need to forgive a daughter. It's time just to let it go. And just to forgive them. And just move on. David obviously did. Listen, forgiveness is not always a one-time thing. It's not an immediate thing. Sometimes it's a process, and it may be. You're starting out on a journey to love to forgive or to learn to forgive them. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you know what? You know who you need to forgive? Maybe you're the Absalom. And maybe you need to forgive a dad and maybe you need to forgive a mom. Maybe you need to understand, don't give up on your dad, don't give up on your mom, because guess what? God's not done with them either. None of us are perfect. Because I'm telling you, if you're wanting revenge, if you're wanting to get even, it will never be enough. And just like in Absalom's life, it it will destroy you. Maybe you're a student here and child and... Maybe you just say, you know what? I need to learn to obey and understand that when my parents speak into my life, they're doing it because they love me. I don't know what your next step is, but I know this. God has a next step for every one of us.